Let's open our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, where we spent a little time last Lord's Day. Let's take up a couple of verses there and follow them to the practical lesson that they can teach us. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verses verse 12, we'll read two verses. Hebrews 3.12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The today, the today in this passage is describing the gospel era. These verses applied most directly to the Hebrews that had been converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ and were tempted to return unto the Old Testament form of worship. When the apostle here mentions them departing from the living God, he is not thinking about them being Mormons. He is not thinking about them becoming Catholics. He is not thinking about them becoming pagans. He is thinking about them departing from God's ordained form of worship of the new covenant under Jesus Christ and returning to Moses. Because that is his single argument all the way through the first 12 chapters of the epistle. It's written to the Hebrews for a reason. It was addressing a particular situation and temptation that they faced. However, we have also in this epistle... Warnings to us that we can take as well to our lives. Because we face the same deceitfulness of sin. And we can depart from the living God either in becoming hypocrites. Or we could become a Mormon. Or a Roman Catholic. Or a pagan. By departing from the living God far enough. And so the exhortation is, take heed. This is an issue of life where we need to apply ourselves very diligently. Take heed. Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. We are dealing with the backsliding of a human heart. We are dealing with what Psalm 36 described as flattering ourselves in our heart that we can get away with our sins until those sins to be found are found to be very hateful. And we're to exhort one another daily, lest we get hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin lies to us. We believe those lies. And by believing those lies, our hearts get hard toward the things of God. So they appear boring. They appear impossible to live. And there appears to be no reward for living the things of God's Word. Because our hearts get hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We want to consider deception today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. Not doctrinal deception, but deception about sin. Sin itself. Where we flatter ourselves that we can get away with compromising righteousness, being a friend of the world, and not living all out for the Lord. That's the deception we want to deal with. 1 Timothy 2.14, the Bible tells us Adam was not deceived. The apostle is taking us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and he tells us Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. 
the fall of our first parents, the first domino in that horrible event was the woman being deceived. She actually believed the lies of the devil to her. That God was trying to hide a secret from her. That the real pleasure in life of being like God himself was dependent upon her breaking his commandment and eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She believed it. Which is a warning to us, and the apostle brings it up right here to remind us that women are very easily deceived. Women are very vulnerable. They're silly in the sense that they are vulnerable and open to deception. And so the warning is given here. But what we want is the fact Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. What was the difference? Adam didn't believe a lie. Adam made a choice that he wanted the woman more than God. Eve believed a lie. She listened to the devil, try to tell her that she wouldn't surely die, and that actually there was hidden in that fruit a great blessing for her. And so she deceived herself, and were the consequences found to be hateful. The consequences were found to be terribly hateful. It tore up her life, it tore up her conception, it tore up her childbirth. Deception is telling yourself a lie and believing it. One of the most horrible combinations that we can imagine, and we do it all the time about our sins, unless we examine ourselves and root them out. In Isaiah 44, you don't need to turn there because you know it. There's verses 9 through 20 describe pagans that take a tree and use part of it to bake their food, about a third of it, use about a third of a tree to warm themselves, And the other third of the tree, they carve into a god and they fall down and worship it. In Isaiah 44, it tells us that they have deceived themselves. They are deceived upon ashes. Because that piece of wood that they're worshiping as a god, one third of it is already in ashes for having been their cooking fuel. One third of it is already in ashes for having been their heating fuel. Ashes have deceived them. They have a lie in their right hand, and they cannot deliver themselves. And sin is that way. Those of you who have had an experience and have a soul that has been renewed by the Holy Spirit, have you ever been held by a sin that was like a bondman to you, a master to you, that held you in chains? Then you understand what this is talking about. You cannot get rid of it, and it's a deceiving lie. I would never worship a tree. That is stupid. So we just have our own little pet sins that that get a hold of us, and we can't deliver ourselves from flattering ourselves that that sin is good for us, and that we're going to escape the judgment of God. What is the difference between someone flattering themselves that they have just made themselves a new God? And so they fall down and say, deliver us. It's the same thing. It's deceit. It's telling ourselves a lie and not recognizing it for what it is, a lie. If you are not living all out for the Lord Jesus Christ, right now, you are no better than a man worshiping a tree. You are no better because you are not pleasing God. If you are living 90% for the Lord... You are a hundred percent failure in the sight of God. He hates all sin. He hates any part of your sin. 
He has commanded us to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all your strength. Not part of it, not 90% of it. We deceive ourselves because we're 90% good or we're, we're a 60% Christian. That's a lie, and we should never believe such a thing. We should root that out of our lives. And my point to you this morning is, if you're not living all out for the Lord, then you are no better than someone worshiping a part of a tree because you've deceived yourself that you can get away with that and not be judged. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We began with those verses and we want to keep those verses before our eyes. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I've referenced this verse earlier today. Let me show it to you in your New Testaments. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. This is part of being a good Christian, is to come into the house of the Lord and examine ourselves and find out where we are wanting. We are to look into the mirror of God's Word and find out our blemishes, our faults, our sins, and we're to correct them. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. We are to examine and prove ourselves to see if we're truly following the word of God like we're supposed to. This is the commandment of God's word in both testaments. Look at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 7 verse 14, speaking of our Lord Jesus. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats, And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And defile the man. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. This is the source of sin. Your heart. The source of sin is not outside you. It's inside you. It's not without. It's within. It's your own heart. When you look at something like murder. Our foolish nation says... That if we take away guns, murder will go down. 
But the Bible says that murder doesn't come from a gun store. Murder comes from our hearts. It doesn't matter whether you use a gun or a knife or a club. It doesn't matter whether you actually take somebody's life or hate them. It's still murder in the sight of God, and all cases of it come out of the human heart. You know, and you think to yourself right now the flattering excuse for sin by saying, well, I don't commit murder. Well, what about foolishness? Does that ever cross your palate? Do we ever find that on your plate? How about pride? Do you ever have a proudful thought? Because all of these things listed here in Mark 7 defile men. They're things that God hates, and these are things that ruin lives, and they come from your heart. And so we've got to judge our heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Are there any of those things in your heart? Do you ever fantasize about rebellion? Do you ever fantasize about disobeying your parents? Are you a slothful parent? You lazy thief for taking a gift from God and not using it the way that you should have. A child that's been given to you. Sex sins. Sins of the spirit. Sins of murder. They all come from the heart. And so we've got to attack our hearts and find out where we are deceiving ourselves. Because the issue is backsliding in heart. Look at Proverbs 14, 14, where it tells us this. Solomon, writing to his son and exhorting his son to be a great man, warns him about backsliding in heart. Proverbs 14, 14, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. That's a wonderful promise there. If you want to backslide in heart, it's going to destroy you. If you want to be a good man, it's going to bless you. There's two people in verse 14. Which one are you? <clears throat> May the Lord bless us to be the second of those two. Therefore, the wise man would say in chapter 4 and verse 23, which I've already quoted, Keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Because it's the backslider in heart that's going to be filled with his own ways. And remember, as we read in Psalm 36 earlier, your own ways are going to come home to haunt you. Because sin is going to come back and be a terrible destructive force in your life. We need to be diligent with our hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The devil wants you to not know about your heart. The devil wants you not to know about deceit. The devil wants you to be deceived because he's a liar and he's always been a liar. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 warns us, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan is able to get an advantage of men if you are ignorant of his devices. And so in order to be able to effectively oppose and resist the devil, we need to be aware of some of his devices. He's a liar, so we look for lies. He deceives people. He deceived Eve in the very beginning. The very first transgression of the human race was Eve being deceived by the lie of the devil. So we look for lies that deceive us. The devil uses them to get us into sin and to keep us in sin. So we need to attack our own hearts. We need to bring into captivity every thought 
to the obedience of Christ. Because our thoughts want to get away. And they want, to, they want to lead us in ways contrary to the Word of God. So we need to capture our thoughts, war against our thoughts, examine our heart, search us, O God, and try my heart. It's what we need to do and we must do if we are to effectively be children of God in this world that live obedient lives for Him. If you're not living all out for the Lord Jesus Christ right now, and it's easy to tell, you need the sermon. Right. You've got problems. You have spiritual problems. You've lied to yourself. And you've believed the lie. Now that's twice stupid. You lie to yourself. Why would we ever tell ourselves something that isn't true? Second, why would we ever believe it when we've lied to ourselves? That is the deceitfulness of sin. If you are not living 100% sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ, you have lied to yourself and you've believed the lie. Now, what lie is it? That's what we want to consider. We want to look at a few of those lies and see which ones we might be guilty of. When Elijah confronted the people of Israel and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? They had lied to themselves. And he pressed them to commit themselves fully to worshiping the Lord as the only God and to give up Baal. They were a bunch of compromisers. And we're tempted to be compromisers because that's one of the lies that the devil gives us. That we can live both ways. That we can have our cake and eat it too. That we can have a few good things going for us and we can lose our first love and be okay. Was the church at Ephesus okay because they were doing a few good things and had lost their first love? Jesus Christ was about to take away their candlestick. How about the church at Laodicea, who was lukewarm? Jesus Christ was about to spew them out of his mouth. So we have to examine ourselves and find out where we're lying to ourselves and get rid of those lies. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 12. Ezekiel chapter 12. Here's a lie. I have plenty of time to do better. Do 70-year-olds, do 70-year-olds use this deceitful lie as often as 17-year-olds? No. They have figured out that 70 is older than 17. And that 70 is closer to the grave than 17. But do 70-year-olds still use it? Oh, yes, they do. Now, that's really stupid. And, you know, while we make fun of the flesh and while we make fun of the devil... Let's just make sure our laughter is all directed right here because we are the idiots that tell ourselves lies and believe them. Don't think about anyone else. Think about yourself. This is a common one. I have time to get right with the Lord and get serious about serving Him. Whether in things natural or spiritual, everyone thinks that it's going to happen to someone else and they always deceive themselves with more time. If they were to read something about a diet that is to keep you from having a heart attack and believe it, I'm not saying I believe anything like that. But if you were to read that, it's amazing how a person can read that one day and the next day be eating their nachos and cheese. Because they always assume that the consequences for an action is going to fall on someone else, not on their, not on themselves. And they always have more time. Look at the Israelites in Ezekiel chapter 12. And this was one of their delusions. 
The books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel are filled with delusions of how the Israelites would make up little proverbs to convey their delusion because they would lie to each other from the pulpit. Here's one. Ezekiel 12, verse 26. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, The vision that he seeth is for many days to come, and he prophesieth of the times that are far off. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, There shall none of my words be prolonged any more. But the word which I have spoken shall be done, saith the Lord God. God's judgment that this man Ezekiel is telling us about, it's a long way off. We can just keep on living the way we are. I remember some men that believed that for 120 years. But in the first day of the 121st year, a drop of water fell out of the sky on his wife's hand, and she said to him, what was that? Please hurry up and let's figure out how we can do that on our website, brother. A man and his wife are standing outside looking at the sun, and a drop of water falls on her hand, and she said, what was that? For 120 years, they had said that kook down the street that's building that 450-foot-long boat in his backyard that kook named Noah is telling us that it's gonna, water's gonna fall out of the sky. He said something about rain. He said something about a flood. They'd never had a flood and they'd never had rain until a drop of water landed in the first day of the 121st year. And the Lord sent a flood on that, on this earth and drowned every single one of those people. Right. We tend to think that we've got forever. God's judgment isn't gonna come. But that's a lie. That's a deceit. And we need to recognize it as a lie and not accept it. And we need to reject it. And if there's anything that you should be doing, what what is the day you should do it? Today. Today. You know, today in Hebrews 3, directly understood from Psalm 95, was the gospel era. But for us right now, listening to this lesson, today is literally today. Today. Right now. The vision that he seeth is for many days to come. He prophesieth of the times that are far off, is what Israel told themselves. The Bible tells us we shouldn't even boast of tomorrow, for we know not what a day may bring forth. It was a rich man that said, I have much goods soul. Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Relax and enjoy life. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, Tonight that man's soul shall be required of him. You don't have time. That's a deceit. That's a lie. Why does the Bible say, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth? Why doesn't it say, remember thy creator before before thou diest? Because you might as well eat your cake as long as you can and then get serious about religion on your deathbed. Why don't you be like the thief? The flesh tells us, the devil tells us and lies to us. He made it right at the end of his life. That's what I'll do. You know, Constantine, the emperor of the Roman Empire, they say he was a Christian. He said he didn't want to be baptized until he was on his deathbed. 
because he wanted to live for himself until then, and he wouldn't want to be baptized, then have a sin sneak in afterwards that would send him to hell. Now that's good Christian understanding, isn't it? There isn't any time. The time is now to hear the Word of God, to search ourselves, and to turn from any sin that we're playing with. You don't know how much time you have. Today may be the last day God ever gives you an opportunity to repent, and He'll turn you into the way of, under, he'll turn you into the way of confusion and leave you there. Right. Proverbs 29.1, I used it last Sunday. Several of you told me that you heard me use it. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That sounds like there isn't a time to repent after that. There's no remedy. Revelation 2.21, that woman Jezebel in the church at Thyatira, I gave her a space to repent. And because she didn't repent in the space I gave her, I will cast her and her children into bed and destroy them. I'll kill her and her children. You don't have time. Now's the time. Any behavior that you have today that doesn't line up with meeting God tonight is a lie. You've deceived yourself into some way of thinking that you can do something today because God isn't coming tonight to meet you, is he? You're sure of that, aren't you? You're as sure of that as the man who cuts a third of the tree and makes it his God. Prepare to meet thy God. You do not know when he's coming, and he's never going to come when you're expecting him to come. He's always going to come earlier. Because we're always procrastinating, getting right with the Lord and obeying him. Because we think we have lots of time. The Bible tells us, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You should be counting your life one day at a time, one day by one day, one day by one day. Forget having birthdays for an annual remembrance of your age. We should be living one day at a time and applying our hearts unto wisdom one day at a time. Because a successful life is one lived successfully one day at a time. A successful life is a string of successful days. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, <clears throat> we lie to ourselves and we believe the lie. God isn't going to chasten me for a long time. I'm going to live a long life. I have plenty of opportunities in the future to get serious about religion. I'll get serious with God some other time. That is a lie, and if you believe it, you're twice stupid. The Bible tells us it's a lie, and the Bible tells us not to believe that lie. If you, know, if you know that you ought to be doing something differently in your life to please God better, this is how you ought to face it from a standpoint of time. Psalm 119, verse 60. Psalm 119, verse 60. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. We do not delay in keeping God's commandments. We may delay in getting angry at somebody for some small personal offense because the Bible tells us to defer our anger in such ridiculous things. But when it comes to pleasing God and obeying Him, we don't delay. We make haste. We do it now. Did you get a proverb recently? From Proverbs chapter 6, 
that, te- that teaches about the man who has entered into suretyship for someone, that he is to go with all frantic energy to get himself out of that financial commitment. Did, did you read? Did anybody read it? For thyself, like a roe from a hunter, or like a bird out of a snare, with all frantic energy, get away from anything that is causing you to sin. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The first delusion that we just thought about was this one. I have lots of time to get serious about the Lord. The Lord's not going to judge me for a long time. I'll get serious later. The Lord tells you to get serious today. You do not even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow, and you do not know if tomorrow God will even allow you to repent. God does not have to give you an open season on repentance. Repentance is a whole lot harder than you think it is. It is a gift from God, and you cannot generate it in sincerity without God giving it to you. And he doesn't owe it to you. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. You're too strict, Pastor. You're too strict. I know the cure for that. Kill yourself and go meet my Creator and the captain that sent me to preach to you. Kill yourself and go meet him. One second after you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, you will wonder why Jonathan Crosby wasn't stricter than he is. One second. You're too strict. I can be a Christian and still have a good time in the world. I can be a Christian and have friends in the world. There's lots of other good Christian people out there that I can be friends with. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 1 Corinthians 15.33 1 Corinthians 15.33 is not talking about you hanging out at a witch's coven. 1 Corinthians 15.33 is not talking about you joining the Mormon church. It's not talking about you being a Freemason. All three of those things being equal. Mormons, Freemasons, and witchcraft. They're all equal. But this verse is not talking about any of them. It's talking about brethren in the church at Corinth. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And what was the evil communication in Corinth? The resurrection was passed. It corrupts good manners. You cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. If you haven't done anything in probabilities or mathematics to know what that means, then grow up. They're mutually exclusive. They don't mix. They don't go together. You can't have them both. You can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world. Because if you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. And let me tell you the truth. If you're the friend of God, you are the enemy of the world because they hate the friends of God. They'll, they'll let you know that themselves. If you ever live like a friend of the world, you can't do them both. No man can serve two masters, Jesus said. And yet we lie to ourselves saying that we can do both. By the grace of God, do you know how many friends I've brought with me from my days at Michigan National Bank of Detroit? None! Except one that was converted. How much do I miss them? Not at all. Zero. And I'm nothing. 
They don't mean a thing to me. Except something I'm glad to be away from. We shared in many successes. We had many good times together. And I'm glad I haven't talked to any of them in decades. I, I want one class of friends. I think I can find it. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. The only friends I want are those that fear God and that keep his precepts. Why would I want anyone else to be my friend? Listen, there's only 168 hours in a week. There's only 1,440 minutes in a day. There's only 60 seconds in a minute. Why would I want to waste one second on somebody that doesn't fear God and keep his commandments? Life is too short to waste it with such people. If I have to transact business with them, then I transact it as quickly as I can. What are you doing with friends? Who are your friends? Parents, it is your job to know your children's friends. You should know every friend of your children. It doesn't have to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Any friend. What kind of influence are they sowing in your children's little heads? What are they putting in their hearts? It can happen anywhere. Don't tell me because you sent them to a private school or a Christian school that everyone there is a Christian. Do you know what Christian schools are for? Public school rejects. We learned that a long time ago. I've seen Christian schools where the, where the incidence of drug use was higher than the public schools. Don't you relax just because you've done that. You need to know your children's friends. They don't have a right to their own friends. You help them pick good friends. Last year they were dirtying on themselves. Why in one year do they all of a sudden know how to pick good friends? I didn't know how to pick good friends. I can tell you about periods of my life when I was a teenager, how quickly I was taken down by wicked friends who were pastor's children. It tells me, be not deceived. I would think that those words are there for some good reason. That we often deceive ourselves in what's about to find. You think that it's there for a reason? Be not deceived. So we must lie to ourselves about this. I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. They're not going to take me down. They're not going to influence me, mom and dad. No, no, no. They're not going to. I can pitch my tent towards Sodom and get away with it. But he couldn't get away with it. And so we can't lie to ourselves on that front. We must choose those that are godly and righteous and spiritual and loving Christ and looking for His return and are holy and talk about the Bible. You say, well, a friend like that would bore me. Well, then we've got bigger problems that we'll get to at another delusion. You know, if you had friends like that, they would lift you up out of this world. And they would help keep you up and you would find the fulfillment of Psalm 36, verses 5 through 10. Those are the kind of friends you want. What do you want, some carnal compromising Christian? Who wants to sit and talk to a Christian about their job or about politics or about health or about the world? What a waste of time. I've only got 168 hours in a week. I've only got 1,440 minutes in, an hour, in a day. I've only got 60 seconds in a minute. Why in the world would I want to sit and waste time talking to a Christian about things like that? 
Let's talk about the things that are wonderful and precious and lasting. The things of heaven. The things of truth. The things of wisdom. The things of God's Word. The things of Christ. The things of righteousness. Evil communications corrupt good manners. They destroy a good person. Rehoboam should have been quite a man. Who was his daddy? Solomon. Who was his granddaddy? David. When Solomon took his last breath and was lying in state in a pretty fancy coffin, wouldn't the whole nation have expected Rehoboam to be one wise man? Just think. He had heard the book of Proverbs in his crib. In his swinger, while it tick-tocked back and forth, he was hearing Proverbs. What happened to him? The nation came to him to make him king. The whole nation stood before him. And they said, your father was a hard king. He taxed us to finance all of his building projects. Will you back off a little bit? He said, give me three days. He went to David's counselors, the old men. The old men that advised, not David's counselors, but Solomon's counselors. He went to the old men. And the old men said, can't you hear them? The whole nation is at your feet. If you'll back off a little bit, they'll serve you forever. He said, let me go see my buddies. I want to play a pickup game of basketball with them. And so while they chased around, trying to get the coconut in a basket, they had a little chat about government. Listen, Rehoboam, if you back off your taxes then we ain't going to be able to be on vacation 50 weeks out of the year. If you back off on your taxes, we ain't all going to have our own private Humvees. You can't back off on taxes. Those people out there, God made them to work for us. You get out there and tell them, if you, if you thought your da- my dad was tough, I'm going to be tougher. Let's raise taxes. You say, well, nobody would listen to that. While you're in a game of basketball with your buddies? Because if you don't go along with your buddies, they may not play basketball with you next Saturday. And if they won't play basketball with you next Saturday, what would you have to do? You'd have to be reduced to sitting in there with wise men that could teach you something. You might have to go bowl or play checkers on the front porch of the retirement home while the old counselors told you something wise. And so what did Rehoboam do? He took the advice of the young men. And he went back to those people and he said, My little finger is going to be thicker than my father's loins. If you thought my father was tough, wait till you see the taxes that are going to come out. And they listened to the foam coming out of the idiot's mouth. The people. The people listened to the foam coming out of the idiot's mouth. And they said, what in the world do we have to do with the tribe of Judah? And they turned and walked away. And Rehoboam sent a tax collector after them. And what did they do to the tax collector? They stoned him to death. And all of a sudden, Rehoboam had two tribes. And there were ten that went to his competitor, Jeroboam. How did all that happen? I just told you a long story. It's in the Bible. You know what it's in the Bible for? Evil communications corrupt good manners. Why would you hang around those stupid buddies that destroyed you, that will destroy you? 
The warning is here. The warning is throughout the book of Proverbs. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. A, a companion of wise men is going to prosper. Evil communications corrupt good manners. How can we pray, lead me not into temptation? And then go play with temptation by hanging around those people that want to sin. How can we pray that? We know we're supposed to pray, lead me not into temptation. But how can we go play around those who you don't care about temptation? The Bible says to flee youthful us. The Bible says to avoid the paths and ways of foolish men. To turn away from it. To not go near it. The warnings are over and over in the Bible. It doesn't matter if they say they love the Lord. What are their lives saying? What are their actions? Are they godly and virtuous as defined by the Bible? It doesn't matter if they say they love Jesus. It doesn't matter if they go to church every time the door is open. How do they live? Do they hate the things that God hates? Do they love the things that God loves? Make them your friends. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You'll never be better than your friends. So what does that mean? That's what this verse is teaching. You'll never be better than your friends. Because your friends are going to corrupt your manners down to their level. So you can't be better than your friends. So what kind of friends should you pick? As high as you can find. And they are your bosom buddies. You want to find those that love Jesus Christ the most and make them the companions of your soul. Because they will help elevate you. They'll not corrupt you. They'll perfect you. Every time you cheat on that standard, you corrupt yourself. The average man is an animal. Who wants to aim for average? We want to aim for those that fear God and that keep his precepts. And we want to get as high on that scale as possible. You've heard me say that you want to marry as high as you can spiritually. That is the most important decision you can make. To marry as high as you can spiritually. So that you have a spouse that is spiritually minded that will help lift you up and not be an anchor to your soul. I hear you say to me, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so and lots of other people. Why are you making me feel so bad this morning about myself? I'm not as bad as a lot of other people. Do you think that the fires of hell care about how bad you are or were? Where in the Bible are we told anything like that kind of a measurement? Well, I haven't murdered my mother or my father yet. But you just sit in your bedroom despising them. There's no difference in the sight of God. To compare yourself with others is no comparison of value. It's foolishness. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It warns us about such foolish comparisons. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We don't, we're not supposed to make comparisons like that. The only judgment we're to make about ourselves and the only standard we want to measure ourselves by is the standard of God's Word. What does the Bible say? When I open up the mirror of God's Word, what does it show me? When I look in the mirror of God's Word, what does it say about me? Am I, am I a real man? Am I a real woman? 
Am I godly, virtuous, noble, righteous, just, kind, loving, faithful, pure? As defined by God's Word, not by measuring ourselves by others. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there's lots of ministers that do it. Ministers shouldn't compare themselves among yourselves. For a minister to say, but I'm better than Betty Hinn. Well, why not say I'm better than the devil? There's, all those comparisons are worthless. The only comparison that should be made is, am I like the Apostle Paul? Am I like the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we're told to compare ourselves to them. Their standard's pretty high. It usually gives us something to work on. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. And these are ministers. These are God's ministers doing it, let alone you doing it with those that you're accompanying with at school or playing basketball with or meeting on the job. We don't compare ourselves against other men. We compare ourselves with the standard God's Word has given us. Like I've said already a couple of times, James chapter 1 the standard is God's Word. It's the mirror. If you get up in the morning and just look at your shadow on the floor from the overhead light, are you going to get your hair just right? Are you going to get your makeup on just right if you use that shadow on the floor from the overhead light? You don't know. Go home and try it, then come back. Well, let's, let's do it again next Sunday. I've seen makeup mirrors before. I think they got a pretty bright light next to them. And I think you get right up there really close, you know, and start to work on every little eyelash. Because that's what James 1 wants you to do, to get right up into God's Word and open the mirror of God's Word and find out every blemish on you in the light of God's Word and then get that blemish corrected and then go your way. But to go your way without opening up that mirror of God's Word is to live a life of being a hearer of the Word and not a doer of it and you're comparing yourselves with others, you're out there saying, I don't look like that person, I don't look like that person. How do you know? You forgot what you look like because you didn't open up God's Word to see. That is the only standard we measure ourselves by. Don't tell anyone and don't tell yourself above that. Above that. Don't tell yourself, but I'm better than a lot of people. That doesn't mean a thing to the Lord. He wants to know how you measure up compared to what He's shown you that you should be in your life. I read about a Pharisee that once stood and prayed thus with himself, I thank thee, Lord, that I am not like this publican over here. He was comparing himself with another man. The Lord despised that Pharisee. There was a publican that didn't compare himself to anyone except God. And all he could say was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went down to his house justified. He did not look anywhere else but inside. And when he looked inside, he saw horror. He saw sin. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That man was justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we are to measure ourselves. When they brought a woman taken in adultery to the Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone, how many stones were cast? None. Because in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, There's no comparison to be made. They could not pretend 
that they were more righteous than that woman taken in adultery. And beginning with the eldest, they left that little circle because Jesus Christ had condemned them by his precious word. Some men's sins are revealed earlier than others. So when you look at men and try to compare yourself to them, how do you know that their sins aren't going to be judged afterwards? You're taking an awful big gamble to compare yourself to someone. The Lord just may not have judged their sins yet, so you don't know what's hidden inside. And you've lied to yourself in a very important matter. Since the Bible tells us that one sin of any kind brings the weight of the judgment of the whole law upon you, he that breaketh the law in one point is guilty of all, James 2.10. Why would you compare yourself to anyone except the Lord Jesus Christ? He didn't break the law even in one point. We say we have more time. We lie to ourselves. Today is the day. We do not know if we'll ever meet again. You could be taken away from us. We could be taken away from you. Or we could all meet the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not know how much time you have. Do not think that you can have friends that are below the standards of God's word and it will not affect you. It will take you down. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And do not compare yourselves among yourselves. There's only one standard we want to compare ourselves to, and it's God's Word. And in God's Word, it gives us men that we can follow, like the Lord Jesus Christ and our brother Paul. And they're the ones that we should follow. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word, and may it cause all of us to search our hearts with the Lord's help and see if there be any wicked way in us, and to turn ourselves wholly unto Him. There is no other way to live. Why would, why would we even pretend to be Christians unless we're going to live all out for the Lord Jesus Christ? And may he help us to that end.